0: welcome to the eric erickson show podcast hour two
1: hello and welcome it is eric erickson here the eric erickson show across the nation the phone number is eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five if you want to be on the program i'm happy to have you i look i gotta move on from the biden speech i guess i still have a lot to say though and i do want to make one more point To be somewhat repetitive, Biden gives a speech on the Thursday night before Labor Day as college football is kicking off, including with two of the popular college football teams in Pennsylvania, and he gives this address. He clearly wanted it to be talked about. He did not want it to be covered at the time. The major national networks, ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox News, where most people were watching television outside of ESPN and the college football shows. They didn't cover it, only CNN, and MSNBC really gave it airtime plus C-SPAN. So it wasn't very well seen. He's already walked back calling Republicans a threat uh, to democracy today in the last 30 minutes now saying he didn't mean it. But there's something else here. One of the things that Joe Biden did that I think is really problematic is he didn't stop with MAGA Republicans. And anyone who thinks he did, uh, is deeply disingenuous. He went beyond that. And he suggested that pro-lifers are a threat to democracy. He essentially said that if you don't agree with Democrats on these sorts of issues, that you are a threat to democracy. And that's part of the problem here. He complained about, for example, the, um, the Dobbs ruling. He complained about uh, Republicans being a threat to abortion. This is a man who unilaterally, without the consent of Congress, decided to negate student loans. And he thinks that Republicans are a threat to the rule of law. But one of the things that that I think really frustrates me here, particularly on the pro-life thing, is for all of the talk of Democrats equating this stuff together and stringing it together, the reality is the pro-life movement after the civil rights movement of the 1960s is the most successful democratic movement in American history. It's the most successful democratic movement in American history. Because to change the United States Supreme Court, you can't, because they are life appointed by presidents confirmed by Congress, you can't elect them, you can't throw them out of office. So in order to change them, you have to elect state legislators who become federal legislators who build up a record of uh, pro-life um, records so you can believe them. You have to elect presidential candidates. You have to get them through a party. You have to get them into the White House. You have to leverage them with the United States Senate, which you have to be able to dominate. And to do that, you have to go to the polls every two years for decades on end, in this case, 40 years in order to shape the Supreme Court. It took 40 years through democratic processes for the pro-life movement to do this. Now, this is very important. You can disagree with the pro-life movement. You can be pro-abortion or call yourself pro-choice. But if you're not intellectually capable of recognizing it was a highly successful movement in democracy, you are not being intellectually honest, you're being nothing but a partisan. They spent 40 years electing candidates, building farm teams, changing the House, changing the United States Senate finding presidential candidates to rally behind, finding a political party from which they could build a base of support to make that party pro-life, to be able to nominate pro-life judges, to build outside organizations, to vet law students, to raise them in the ways of originalism, to get them into lower federal courts so that they could be advanced into the Supreme Court. It took 40 years of dedication and a full movement and time and patience to do, and it involved them literally having to go vote every two years, Time and time again, even when they want didn't want to, in order to advance their candidates and their cause, it is definitionally one of the most successful democratic movements in history. And for Joe Biden in his speech last night to equate that and Dobbs with an affront to constitutional rights when what happened originally with Roe v. Wade is you had a handful of activists, not a democratic movement. In fact, most of the laws in the country were against abortion and a handful of progressive lawyers. Presented a case to seven men in the Supreme Court who granted a constitutional right that up until that moment in 1973, no one could find. And to this day, you cannot read the Constitution, the text of the founders, the Federalist Papers, or anything like that, and find this right that supposedly had been there the whole time. And all pro-lifers wanted is not to ban abortion, but to be able to contest it through democratic processes. And they're going to find out that in most states, they lose. But they wanted to have the fight to begin with. In many states, they'll be able to get abortion restrictions because most Americans actually do agree with pro-lifers on some restrictions. They don't want outright bans. A lot of pro-lifers want total bans. They're not going to get those in many states democratically. What's just fascinating to me, though, is how the Democrats can't even bring themselves to concede the success of this movement in democracy. In 2017, when Donald Trump was sworn into office, there were riots through Washington, DC. You will remember because it went viral, it was very famous. The woman sitting uh, with her legs crossed on the ground, Indian style, I guess you call it, or it's that hateful to say these days, I don't know. And she's holding her head and she's screaming, no, 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 you remember that. There were burning limos on Pennsylvania Avenue that were smashing storefronts. They refused to accept Donald Trump's election. In 2018, in Georgia, Brian Kemp won the election, and the White House, current White House press secretary at the time said Brian Kemp had stolen the election. She's never been called out for that. And then last night, Joe Biden says, if you refuse to accept the lawful legitimacy of elections in America, you are a threat to the country. But he's saying that about Republicans. He's not saying that about those people. He's not saying that about the progressives. He's not saying that about the Democratic base. He's saying that not just about MAGA Republicans. He's saying that about Republicans who are pro-life, who operated through the Democratic channels for 40 years to get a Supreme Court opinion changed. The most difficult thing you can do in the United States, short of amending the American Constitution, is getting the Supreme Court to change a precedent. Because you have to convince Supreme Court justices that their institution was wrong, and it's very hard to get them to do that because of the doctrine of stare decisis, that they tend to maintain past precedents, no matter how flawed, for the legitimacy of the court. And it took them 40 years to do through voting to for people through building farm teams through finding pro-life candidates through finding intellectuals who could make the arguments to persuade uh, law students and persuade law professors who could then teach that way of view that viewpoint to found the federalist society to build an organization this was the most democratic movement probably in american history if not world history Modern world history, it it profound how long it took. They did not give up and they were ultimately successful. And to say those people are anti-Democrat when actually it was an anti-Democratic institution, the Supreme Court, that conjured a right out of thin air in the 1970s to placate progressives. And all these people did was they played by the rules and got it changed over a 40-year period. That should be deeply offensive to you and show that the president's own argument is without any sort of intellectual firepower. It's an emotional screed designed to mobilize the Democratic Party's base. That's all it was, an emotional screed to mobilize the Democratic Party base at the expense of persuading independent voters. And that is something else that's significant here. They've given up on trying to persuade independent voters. They think now that they are ahead in the generic ballot for the first time since November of 2021, Democrats are ahead by one-tenth of 1% On the congressional generic ballot, that still tends to favor Republicans when you get into likely voters, but they think the wind is at their back and they can give up on persuading independents. They can just mobilize their base. And so Biden can go out there and demagogue everyone in a national speech, walk it back the next day when questioned by Peter Ducey. but the media has their talking points. The media has their marching orders. The Democrats have their marching orders. There's not going to be a persuasion campaign now. There's going to be vilification. That's a problem. The Democrats have one thing going for them, and they know, they know they have one thing going for them right now. Many Republicans, many Republicans will rather defend Donald Trump than talk about the issues Americans care about. And that's what Democrats are hoping for. Democrats are hoping that we have a unending two-month stand-by-your-man moment from the Republican Party, where they defend Donald Trump the classified documents that most independent voters are turned off by. It's not a coincidence. You see the shift in independent voters back to the Democrats. As the Mar-a-Lago raid comes, you find the classified documents. Donald Trump comes to the forefront. Democrats have literally been telling us for a year they intended to make this an election about Donald Trump. The president's whole speech last night was to get Republicans fired up to defend Donald Trump because they know Donald Trump alienates independence because they know something some of you cannot bring yourselves to admit. Donald Trump lost. He didn't have it stolen from him. And a lot of independent voters who don't like Joe Biden still prefer him over Donald Trump when it comes to governance. Joe Biden's problem is he promised a return to normalcy. He promised a return to good behavior. A year ago and a few days, Joe Biden tweeted out this. Here's my promise to you. If I'm elected president, I will always choose to unite rather than divide. I'll take responsibility instead of blaming others. I'll never forget the job isn't about me. It's about you. And he's done exactly the opposite. He's done all the things Democrats accused Donald Trump of doing and trump is not on the ballot unless you put him on the ballot unless you make it about donald trump if you make it about joe biden if you say joe biden returned to, promised to return to normalcy if you if joe biden he promised he'll take responsibility instead of blaming others he promised he'll choose to unite instead of divide and look what he's doing he can't even run the economy he can't even keep his word he's no better than donald trump republicans win but too many Republicans still want to relitigate 2020. Too many Republicans want to make everything about Donald Trump. Too many of them want to focus on Trump at the expense of the economy and crime and the border. And you know, you if you want to make it about Donald Trump, at least make it about how none of these problems existed when he was president. Don't worry about Mar-a-Lago. Don't worry about classified documents. Don't worry about possible indictments. Make it about your life did not suck when Donald Trump was president. You may not have liked the guy, but he didn't screw up the economy. He didn't screw up the border. You didn't have monkeypox. You didn't have all of these problems in the country. I mean, Corrine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, is now trying to claim it's Republicans who kept kids out of school, which is a bold-faced lie that we got to spend some time with. Turn all of that on its head. Take these unforced errors by the Democrats and ram an entire campaign through them to November highlight the economy, highlight their lies about schools and education and keeping schools closed, highlight their problems with the border, the fentanyl crisis, all of these things. If Republicans will do this, doesn't matter what Joe Biden says about pro-lifers, Republicans, MAGA, or Donald Trump, they get their butt kicked in November because people really feel like our best days are behind us and we've got hell to come in the economy. And if you just present a better picture of competence than what Joe Biden can present, you win. It actually is that easy if you have the willpower to do it. Everybody asked me about bowl and branch sheets. I actually put up a picture the other day. We got some in our house because we order from them. We actually are customers. And they're like, oh my gosh, are they really that good? Yes, they get softer every single time you wash them. I mean, they use 100% organic cotton threads. They're super soft. You get such a good sleep. They have just the great weight to them. Like, I had a pair of sheets we actually threw away when we replaced them with Bowling Branch, Where is they were just, like, too light and also not very soft. The Bowling Branch, they're perfect. The drape across your body when you sleep, absolutely perfect. Bolin Branch uses the highest quality threads on Earth for superior softness, for a better night's sleep. They've got over 10,000 stellar reviews. Their signature sheets come in nine neutral colors in all sizes, from Twin to California Key you will feel the difference and they're 100 free from toxins no pesticides no formaldehyde no harsh chemicals get 15 off your first set of sheets when you use promo code eric e-r-i-c-k at bowlandbranch.com that's Boland Branch b-o-l-l-a-n-d branch.com the promo code is eric e-r-i-c-k and don't forget, if you text DATA to 33777, you can sign up for my daily email. You get the morning stuff for free, the stack of stuff from the show and all that uh, is for paid subscribers. And the paid subscribers is going to get a nice discount for our conference, which will be uh, August 17th through 19th of 2023 in Atlanta. We'll have all the GOP presidential candidates for 2024 there. Um, we've already reached out to Mike Pence's office, uh, DeSantis. DeSantis. Uh, so many others, they're going to be with us on stage in Atlanta next year. Text the word DATA to 33777. Now let's go to the phones. Peggy, you're going to be up next. Peggy, welcome to The Eric Erickson Show.
2: Hi. I enjoy your show, and I had some things to say. Um, All right. I would like to know, is the mindset of the, the day that every American who voted for Donald Trump and his, and accepted his mantra to make America great again is against the Constitution and our country. Just who came up with the acronym MAGNA and defined it as bad and represented negativity. And also what I wanted to say is, how in the world can the President of the United States deduce that what he has done since the beginning of his term in office supersedes what the campaign and actions to make America great again did from 2016 to 2020? And that we who supported many effective decisions and policies implemented during Donald Trump's tenure are across the board bad and do not respect the US Constitution. Did China, North Korea, Iran, Russia escalate their policies toward the US and the world during 2016 and 2020? No. Was the inflation 8.5%? Was the interest rate three times and at 1.2 times, did they have to increase it by 0.75%? And did the pres- did a president face a totally unknown pandemic and act to its best ability and leave it for the successor in shape to roll out a vaccination program and finally was the united states states and the president of the united states respected more by our allies and Mm -hmm. adversaries during 2016 to 22 than it is today
1: Look, Um, I've I've got to tell you, um, to one of your core points here, Vladimir Putin, we now know for certain, chose not to invade Ukraine as long as Donald Trump was in the White House because he didn't know how Trump would respond. And the left has spun it as, uh, well, he didn't have to because Donald Trump was undermining Ukraine. That's not true at all. We now know for certain. American intelligence tells us that Donald Trump uh, was so unpredictable in Vladimir Putin's mind, he wasn't sure what he would do. So he didn't invade. You didn't have Iran engaging in, in major terror activities in Saudi Arabia while Donald Trump was president. They tried, he put a stop to it real quick and he killed Soleimani. The fact of the matter is if Republicans, if they got to talk, if you can't help yourselves, you got to talk about Trump. Talk about the economy. Unemployment was very low. There were a lot of jobs, gas prices were low. Until COVID hit, the economy was firing. And what happened after COVID hit? He mobilized the country. They found the vaccine that Joe Biden wants to take credit for. And it was Biden and the Democrats who refused to open schools. It was the progressive areas of this country that refused to do it. Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, has now gone out and claimed that it was Donald Trump and Republicans who kept schools closed. She actually claims this. And I want to take your phone calls when we come back, but we got to spend time on this because I got the receipts. I've got the receipts on this, and we need to spend a little bit of time talking about this bold claim from this idiot at the White House. This woman is not bright. She is like a one-legged man in a butt-kicking contest. She is just not bright uh, when it comes to being able to be the White House press secretary, and she keeps digging a hole. Uh, for herself. I, I mean, really, I, I think a, a one legged man in a butt kicking contest is a more successful person than she is as White House press secretary. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson show across the nation. The phone number is 877 973 7425. Those of you on the phones, bear with me. I want to get to your phone calls, but I first need to play you some audio. This is Karine Jean-Pierre, the dim-witted White House press secretary, who yesterday at the White House press briefing before the speech in an encounter with, I think it was Peter Ducey. it usually is, but I'm not 100% sure on this one, had this to say.
2: Be optimistic about Um, the the national assessment of educational progress
3: uh, is has this new testing that shows that nine-year-olds lost ground in both math and reading in pretty dramatic ways as a result of the pandemic. Um, What is the president going to do about it? What is the administration going to do about this severe learning loss? And does the administration shoulder any blame for not pushing schools to reopen sooner?
2: So let's step back to where we were uh, not too long ago when this president walked into this administration, uh, how mismanaged uh, the pandemic, the response to the pandemic was, uh, how 47% of schools uh, were, uh, in, in less than six months, Uh, Our schools went from 46% uh, to to open to nearly all of them being open to full-time. That was the work of this president, and that was the work of Democrats, in spite of Republicans not voting for uh, the American Rescue Plan, which...
1: Okay, you got that? She says that it was the Republicans who kept schools closed. Well, my friends, I have what the kids these days call receipts. Here's Randy Weingarten, the head of the American Federation of Teachers, July 28th, 2021.
2: Has really thrown this curveball that says that, well, is, vaccination is the number one gold standard um, that we need to, you know, bring back our masks for schools. So the bottom line is we're going to keep kids safe. We're going to keep our members safe we're going to try to open up
1: schools and we're going to try to move through this political battlefield. That was July 28th, 2021, February 9th, 2021. Here's Kate Bedenfield, the White House communications director.
0: Teachers unions have said that teachers should be vaccinated before schools are open again. Does the president agree with that? Should a vaccination be required before a teacher should go back to school?
2: Well, he believes that teachers should be a priority in the and the vaccination list. He has supported that. He believes that teachers should get their vaccines, but he's listening to the science. And there are a number of important steps that we need to take to ensure that schools can open open safely. Vaccines are one piece of it, yes, but also we need to. Uh, there needs to be masking. There needs to be room for social distancing. So those mitigation measures are are just as important.
1: That was February 9, 2021. Schools still closed. Here's Chuck Todd on MSNBC.
0: It is not clear to me where the president's
1: position is on reopening schools. That was Chuck Todd, February fifth, twenty 2021. Here's Nancy Pelosi, February 19, 2021.
2: Now, the important point to make on this is where there is a high incidence of, um, of, uh, of COVID, most of those schools are virtual or hybrid anyway. They're not uh, actual. They're not actual. And the vaccination might not make it uh, actual anyway. So again.
1: Yes. Virtual schools, February 17, 2021. Then White House press secretary, the smart one, Jen Psaki.
3: Well, I will say one of the reasons that the president has put $130 billion of funding in his American Rescue Plan is because he knows that schools across the country need funding to satisfy some of the mitigation steps that are recommended in the CDC guidelines. Uh, I talked with him about this this morning, and his concern, as you have raised, that uh, this is deeply impacting women. We're seeing that statistically with every week and every month of jobs numbers. We've seen it anecdotally. And uh, his concern is about the impact, of course, on working women today, but also on how will uh, it will bring us back uh, in the years ahead because if there are fewer women who are in the workplace there are fewer women climbing the corporate ladder there are fewer women who are uh, getting law degrees uh, getting doctorates uh, and that has a long-term impact so you're right that or I I should say what I'm taking from your question is uh, you know can we can we get this done if we don't have funding if we don't have the different components when he announced his goal of opening the majority of schools he made clear we need to have funding
1: because most that was February 17th, 2021, and here's uh, Andy Slavitt, the White House COVID advisor at the time.
2: Any sort of common ground when it comes to getting kids back to school? People, parents, were thrilled last night to hear the president say five days a week he wants to get those kids back in school. And those same people are hearing the opposite from their own teachers and school administrators that say these buildings aren't equipped to handle teaching with all these kids in here.
0: Well, look, if it were easy, it would have been done by now. And I think we may, we're making progress. I think having a roadmap back that the CDC put out is a good thing. Look, it's not a matter of whether kids should go back to school, it's a matter of how. And- matter
1: of how, that was that was back in, looks like March of 2021. Here's Anthony Fauci, February 21st, 2021 with Dana Bash on CNN.
0: You know, I mean, obviously if, it's a very difficult situation to get an absolute definitive answer with the, with the CDC has tried to do is look at the risks that you have and try, if you follow the CDC guidelines, to get the children back in school, at least with hybrid and maybe even when you actually have an increased spacing with them that you can get it in what's called a decreased capacity. If you do the four or five things that the CDC recommends, the bottom line goal that I think people need to remember is that and I've said this way before the CDC guidelines came out that the default position is to do whatever you can as best as you can to get the children back to school with safety concerns for the children and for the teachers and the educational personnel and that's what we're trying to do that's what the president is talking about about getting those K to 12 schools open Getting
1: them open means they're not open. Here's the United Teachers Los Angeles President Cecilia Meyer-Cruz on March 1st, 2021 after um, Gavin Newsom said he wanted to reopen schools for the coming school year.
4: Safety conditions must be in place in our schools such as PPE, social distancing, ventilation, and a cleaning regimen. Now let's drill down on some of the increased political pressure coming from all sides. We have an all-important member vote this week to stand up against that pressure and fight the unsafe return to school sites. Today, state legislators released a revised plan in Senate Bill 86 to try to force schools to physically reopen Even if conditions are unsafe, unfortunately, the plan reverts to deeply flawed ideas in Gavin Newsom's proposal in December to offer school districts more money if they open faster. If you condition funding on the reopening of schools, that money will only go to white and wealthier schools that do not have the transmission rates that low-income black and brown communities do. This is a recipe for propagating structural racism.
1: Oh yes, she went there, teachers union president, going all the way to April 30th, 2021, when Joe Biden reversed his pledge to open schools within the first hundred days of his administration.
0: Uh, kids in K-12 schools obviously are not going to be able to, to get the vaccine by the fall. Should all schools in this country be open this fall for five-day five, day in, five day a week in-person learning regardless?
1: Based on the science of the CDC, they should probably all be open. Based on it, they should probably all be open. Now the point here, again, all this audio, we got the receipts here. For Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, to blame Republicans and say it was Donald Trump. Actually, in 2020, Joe Biden was campaigning, saying Donald Trump was going to put your kids at risk by trying to force schools to reopen in August and September of 2020, saying it was a campaign issue. He didn't care about the kids. He wanted them open. Red states reopened. Blue states did not. And now for the White House to say it was Trump's fault and Republicans' fault when all the people standing in the way— We're Democrats. In November of 2020, Andrew Cuomo was on MSNBC, and he admitted that even though COVID isn't spreading in schools, he's been keeping the schools closed anyway.
3: Are schools going to close on Monday if we top 3%?
5: Yep. Because uh, the the way it works in New York with schools, we have 700 local school districts and we set parameters and we let local governments then set uh, parameters for their particular yeah. district with their parents and with their teachers. New York City set 3% uh, as the agreement. if. Uh, If the number goes over 3%, the infection rate, which, by the way, is very low, right? Uh, Almost uh, 80% of the states are above 3%. 3% is a low number. But if it goes over 3%, the schools will close. Uh, The question then will be, how quickly can we reopen them? And we've learned uh, a lot over the past few months. We now do a tremendous amount of testing in the schools. And what we've learned, Katie, is we're not seeing spread in the schools. You see a very low percentage of positivity
1: in the schools. But they were going to close them anyway. Those are the receipts. That's it. That's it. They can blame Republicans all they want. But parents, remember, again, Republicans, focus on that. Now. To the phones we go again, 877-973-7425. John, you're going to be up next. Welcome.
6: Mr. Erickson, how in the world are you doing?
1: I'm great. How are you?
6: I'm doing well. You know, (laughs) it kind of caught me off guard. I was listening to uh, uh, this uh, uh, replay of all of that, and I actually, boy, that brought back some memories. You're so thorough. It's amazing. I appreciate it. If I had the authority, uh, I'd say, hey, let's let this program go four hours, not three. But I don't have it. (laughs) (laughs) Bless your heart, man. Hey, um, you had uh, said something to the effect about going to the voting poll and – You know, you choose your candidate. I'm not putting Mm -hmm. it correctly as you said it. When I go to vote, I go to vote for an individual that will stand up for the United States Constitution. Mm -hmm. Our nation, our nation is totally different than any other country in the world. Why? Why? Because the founding fathers were wise enough to write a document, a contract, so to speak, to protect we, the people, Mm -hmm. from tyranny, from uh, giving us the authority to choose, not necessarily weaponize, as some will say, militarily wise, But you know, if we are suppressed, we have that right to vote them out of office because they're not following the Constitution of the United States. And any time anyone in uh, executive, uh, uh, legislature, Supreme Court goes against the Constitution, you're going against, against. the Constitution, and we the people. Right. Bless your heart for everything you do, brother. Well, look, John, I appreciate
1: the kind words and and totally agree with you on that point, too, that uh, Republicans are voting for people they think are going to protect and defend the Constitution, not this expansive federal state that Democrats want that is extra-constitutional. And to say that they're, they're against the Constitution or, or some such is just to say you disagree with them philosophically. For the president to take the next step and say they're an enemy of the people is actually new territory here, and it just frees up the Republicans to do the same, which I wish they wouldn't take the bait, but you and I both know they're going to. All of this is going to be economically destabilizing as well, Um, all these fights we're going to start having, which is one reason you may want to consider physical gold and silver to help stabilize your investment portfolio, particularly if you've got over $50,000 in your retirement account. You might want to learn how to use physical gold and silver to protect your money. You can call my friends at GoldCo at 855-904-5933. You'll get a free wealth protection kit to learn how to use gold and silver to protect and grow your money. Call them at 855-904-5933. Thousands of retirees are protecting their retirement savings. Many are getting $10,000 or more in free silver for doing it. So call my friends at Goldco. Find out if you qualify for their offer. They've helped thousands of Americans They want to help you. 855-904-5933. Or just text my name, Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777 i'll send you gold coast number so you can touch with them that's eric to 33777 hello there it is eric erickson here the phone number is 877-973-7425 if you want to be on the program let's spend some time with your calls here uh nikki you're going to be up next welcome to the show nikki how are you good how you
6: doing great good i just had a quick question um i'm a uh black republican and i had a question about the i guess the messaging ever since really since i was 18 i have voted that way um compliments of my father who grew up in the uh, segregated south and um i'm just trying to figure out what rona's doing in terms of that or i know recently paris denard was recently let go um I'm just trying to figure out with all the different Republican candidates that are black that try to run for office. I never really see anything outside of how I stumble upon them, um, you know, get get the messaging out. Um, And then I guess
1: for me, I I guess. Yeah, I got to tell you, I. uh, You know what? I, I, I try to keep nothing from everybody and try to be transparent. So I'll tell you what I really think. I think Republicans do an atrocious job with a lot of non-white outreach. I really do. Um, I think oftentimes they hire cranks in the black community uh, who Mm -hmm. can't really relate to other people in the black community who haven't lived that life, even though they claim to. Or my favorite is when you get some white guy who speaks Spanish to show up at a local Hispanic Chamber of Commerce meeting, and they start hola mi amigos and it's 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 awful it's it's degrading and embarrassing and you know i really believe that you can send a white guy into the black community and just say hey look Mm -hmm. we're all in the community together i know i don't look like you but i live here too and here's why i hope you'll consider voting for my candidates and i wish they would do that instead of getting all of the cranks that they tend to get for these jobs and no offense to, to people you've named um i just i think that over time republicans tend to just get people as oh we have to have a black person go talk to black people even if some white kid might do a better job of it and then in the hispanic community it's just treat people like moms and dads, treat people like their professions, treat people that they're defined not by the color of their skin or their ethnicity, but by their love for this country and the jobs they do and the lives they lead. And and you can have a real impact there. Donald Trump was better at minority outreach than many of the minority outreach staff in the GOP. And he was vilified by the left as a racist, and yet he connected with people Because he connected with them as moms and dads and doctors and plumbers and electricians and hardworking Americans who cared about this country. And it worked for him. And the GOP is going to screw it up with all of these minority outreach people who barely speak English in like a normal human being way as opposed to a robotic way.